0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast along with Aaron Fitt in the heartland of America. I'm John Manuel. We're brought to you, this podcast is brought to you by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. Aaron, where in the heartland are you? I believe it's Wichita. Are you back in, are you uh, far from this opera forevermore? Is that where you are?
1: I don't get that reference, John, but That's I am in Wichita. Seven Nations Army.
0: Come on, Seven Nations uh, Army. You know,
1: I was thinking to myself yesterday, um, that it was kind of unbelievable that they didn't play that song at Wichita state I and mean, they played everywhere else. Exactly. Um, I don't know, I don't know how it didn't get played at, at X stadium, but, uh, I am still in Wichita on the last, the last, uh, day of this 10 day excursion here. And, uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, a lot of neat venues and programs I think that are, uh, headed in, in good directions. And, uh, and you know some teams that are they're they're pretty good. I mean, I think this Wichita State team has a chance uh, um, to make a little bit of noise this year. You know, they're they're balanced and they're experienced, and that's obviously a big series win against the Titans. And the Titans are are struggling right now. Um, you know, it's kind of kind of heard what I expected to hear from Rick Vanderhoek after the game. You know, I mean, he was ready to pretty much say that his team's terrible, and if if we if we had a bottom ten in our rankings, that his team should be in in it, <laughs> uh, you know, bottom 10 in America. I mean, not, not the bottom 10 in the top 25. <laughs> well,
0: there are the bottom ten in the top 25, Aaron. We dropped them nine oh, spots down yeah. to number 18. Um, that's as good a place to start as any. Well, I mean, there's more things we can talk to you about with, the, uh, with your trip and, and those programs because you've seen some really great highlights. And I, I, one of the highlights of the trip, at least for me, selfishly, was Friday's uh, Google Hangout with, uh, with Darren Erstad. That was a lot of fun. I thought Coach Erstad knocked that out of the park. But let's talk about the Titans, because this week, this is a week of tumult in the top 25 rankings. We have teams debuting as high as number 13, from not ranked to 13, although Florida had been ranked prior to that this season. Mm. But Aaron, uh, you know, we we have one, two, three, four, five teams that were ranked last week that are new to the rankings this week. We have a team uh, falling from eight. We have two teams that fell. One team that fell 12 spots, one that fell 10 we have, uh, you know, some ranking stalwarts such as North Carolina. I'd like to know the last time North Carolina wasn't ranked. I would guess it was Matt Harvey's junior season back in twenty ten. Uh, yeah. N- NC State that was preseason number five all the way down uh, out of the rankings. But 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 Cal State, Florida team you just saw this weekend, a team that really Aaron coming into this weekend and then they lose again at Wichita. But basically, Fullerton like they'd been kind of propped up in the rankings because they'd gone to Oregon and swept that series. Otherwise, Fullerton really hasn't had a knockout series yet. No. They've lost a series at Baylor. Now they have lost a series at Wichita State. So they've been on the road three times. They've lost two of those series. What's your take on the Titans? What's the, if you're diagnosing the team for Rick uh, Vanderhoek, what what do you tell him? What's the big problem for the Titans right now?
1: Well, I'll tell you first of all that his diagnosis—you know—at the, at the mid-season point here, he was giving out grades yesterday for his team, and he, he gave his pitching an A uh, for the first half of the season, but he said his offense and his defense get—you know—he's Rick Vanderhoek is Fs. So some um, dramatic pronouncements after a, a disappointing series loss. So I mean, you know, we'll get that out of the way. I don't think they're—they're they're not as bad as he thinks they are yesterday, um, but you know, they're—they're they're not. A very good offensive team. I mean, that is true. They're, um the quality of their at bats uh, is not up to Cal State Fullerton standards. I mean, they there are too many early count pop ups and you know just non productive at bats and um, you know things they didn't execute. In, in when they needed to get a bunt down, they didn't. Or when they needed to you know get a hit and run, they they of. Um, productivity there up and down the lineup.
0: Aaron, they I mean, hit a
1: ton of home runs. Am you, I breaking up, John?
0: You, you did break up a little bit there, but uh, it sounds like the, the, the general gist of this is that Cal State Fullerton's offense, I mean, uh, Coach Vanderhoek gives them an F. I mean, it sounds like even if you're not grading them as harshly as Coach Vanderhoek would, it's not a passing grade, or if it is, its is, they're passing by the skin of their teeth. It's really not a positive uh, you know, like I said, there's some power there. They have three guys with three home runs, but it doesn't seem like they are. Uh, they, they haven't been a consistent offensive team. That's a fair way to put it, is it, not?
1: That's it. That's it. And, you know, they haven't been very good on defense either. And, uh, you know, certainly not having Matt Chapman in the lineup hurt them a little bit this weekend. He was dealing with the flu, flu-like symptoms, I guess, and um, throwing up and everything, so he couldn't even pinch hit him. But, um, you know, he's one of their best players, as we know. Uh, but still, I mean, you know, they just need need more out of out of their older guys, They need more out of um, some of the, the newer guys. I mean, you know, there are players here like Austin Deemer and Clay Williamson and, um, you know, uh, Keegan Dale, who have been around this program for a while now. And they were counting on these guys to really lead the way here. And they've been waiting in the wings and they need to have really good years. And they haven't.
0: And I guess the other thing is that prognosis going forward, they start Big West play next weekend, and the Big West is having a good year. Uh, they're they're at UC Davis. I mean, they're at home against UC Davis to start next weekend, but then back-to-back road series against top 25 teams in Santa Barbara and Cal Poly. Hawaii's been competitive this year, so has Long Beach State. Um, this is no pushover league. Uh, what's your prognosis for the Titans going forward?
1: Well, you know, I I still think they're going to be fine. They've they've got so much pitching um, that they're going to win a lot of games. And, you know, when they get to conference play, they usually do kind of take off. Usually, I mean, we've seen Fullerton struggle through the non-conference before because they played tough schedules. And this year's schedule isn't as tough, really, as they usually play. But it still contained, you know, I mean, some challenging road trips. You're going to Wichita. You're going to Baylor and Oregon. Those aren't easy places to play. I mean, those are quality programs. Um, You know, Washington State and San Francisco are quality non-conference series. You know, they don't have any pushovers here. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but that that said, you know, they're 14 and 10. They're not really where we thought they'd be against that schedule. Um, I I think they're still going to be fine in the big West. Um, I think they'll probably still wind up posting a regional. I think they'll be that kind of a team, but, but right now it sure looks like Cal Poly is the favorite in this league. And, uh, you know, that that's uh, pretty unusual for Cal State Fullerton not to be the favorite in the big West.
0: It really is unusual. And, uh, you know, Aaron Cal Poly kind of started it off uh, this year, making that loud statement by sweeping uh, Kansas State, and they just really haven't slowed down since then. And, I mean, Matt Imhoff, we've written about him, we've talked about him, but Aaron, this guy just has this hasn't slowed down. Um, I don't yeah. think I told you I was going to talk to you about this guy, but I mean, you know, you you just saw Eric Fetty this weekend, um, so I, with UNLV, I want to talk a little bit about him. And I, I mean, we're going to do a draft update uh, in the next 10 days here, a uh, top 100 prospect list. Uh, we've got stuff, you know, Clint Longenecker just thought Carlos were done Friday. It wasn't very, wasn't uh, Carlos was best again. Um, yeah, we've talked about Jeff Hoffman on the podcast. We've talked about a lot of guys. From a draft standpoint, though, I mean, Matt Imhoff, he's a left-hander who pitches off his fastball and dominates off his fastball week in, week, week out um is this is this guy has this been the best uh with Aaron Nola having lost this weekend finally I mean I feel like we haven't talked about Matt Imhoff in the same breath as Aaron Nolan it feels like we probably should he has just been outrageously good
1: yeah he has been and it seems like him and Brandon Finnegan have been kind of going back and forth for the national strikeout lead here um for 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 a while now and both those guys I think are are uh are the real deal, you know, and and we have features actually both of them in our latest issue. That uh, at least, you know, I think we'll probably post at least one of those features, maybe both of those features online this week. So keep an eye out for those if you're listening. But um, you know, Imhoff is, I think he's got. Uh, what is it? Four double-digit d- strikeout games now and seven starts. Um, you know, I mean, this guy is a strikeout machine, and his his, his breaking ball has improved too. Um, you know, this the, the changeup still doesn't get a whole lot of run, but you know, he's started to use it more often a little bit. Uh, so he has become a three-pitch guy. Uh, but you're right. I mean, primarily he's dominating off the fastball and the angle, um, the command of that thing. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's he's pretty special, and and. And, and their offense is special, too. I mean, that's it's certainly that, that's one of the things that stands out about that team in Louisiana, Lafayette, and Virginia in, in the top five. You know, even Florida State and South Carolina have, have – and Oregon State, all those teams have some physicality in the middle, and they all have uh, productive um, at-bats throughout their, throughout their lineups. So, um, you know, it's harder to generate offense now. We've talked about this so many times, and so the teams that can do it stand out.
0: That's it. Uh, Finnegan with sixty five leads the leads the country right now. Imhoff one behind him at sixty four, and there's Aaron Nola. I think I think those 56. are outdated
1: stats though, because I think Finnegan's up to seventy three now.
0: Oh well, then uh, well then Imhoff would lead him then, because Im Imhoff had thirteen this weekend, so he would have seventy seven. There you go. So unless uh, Nola struck out twenty one, which we know he did not, <laughs> then I think Matt Imhoff is probably leading the country in uh, in strikeouts. So yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, I, I saw the date wrong on that. <laughs> But um, yeah, I just I just think it's a, it's really surprising to see right now that we have three Big West teams ranked, and Cal State Fullerton is the third of them. Uh, that is not yeah. that is not the usual state of affairs. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Um, Aaron, one of the other huge factors, obviously in this uh, ranking every week, is the SEC. We've talked about that how we've ranked twelve different Southeastern Conference teams, and that was one of the other shakeups. We're just just talking about Aaron Nola. He took his first loss. One of their big shakeup series of the weekend was Florida. Sweeping LSU and Florida really had, in terms of beating ranked teams, about as good a week as they could have had because they also beat number one Florida State in a midweek game, and they go and sweep LSU on the weekend. And it really feels like Florida has uh, turned things up a notch in conference play, Aaron, and um, and, it, and they're doing it in an unusual way. And you just, you don't you you usually don't thrive in the Southeastern Conference with freshman weekend starters, and yet that's how Florida's thriving. I'm
1: here now. Logan Shore, I mean, has been really good for him. And, um, you know, he was – he came up, I think, it, it against Nola. you he going head-to-head with Aaron Nola, and, and yep. I think he uh, he came up big, you know. Um, but uh, their, their team is, is so exciting because of all the young players. I mean um, – Oh it was, no! It was—I should correct myself. It was Poche. It was Jordan, Jared Poche, another freshman. That's who, who, who Logan Shore beat. Um, it was in the second game of the series. But anyway, yeah. I mean, the, the point is, you're right. They're they're using younger arms. I mean, Eric Handhold started the first game. It's a sophomore. You know, that has a really good arm. Um, and then they got a good start or a, a good uh, relief appearance from Kirby Snead, the left-hander, uh, in the in the series finale. There. You know. So they get they're getting contributions. From a lot of different guys, um, it seems like their offense is coming around a little bit. Um, you know, this team has won 13 of the last 16 games right now, and they've they've played a very tough schedule. You know, I mean, even early in the season, you 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 start off with a series win against a, a pretty good Maryland team, as we as we found out. Uh, you go on the road to Miami, you don't get swept, and they had that one really bad weekend um, at home, and where they lost three out of four against FGCU and and in Illinois. But since then, they've been really good. So. Um, you know, these teams are going to go up and down all year long, but, um, right now Florida's got the hot hand and, and they've got a lot of upside with those, those freshmen in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, in their three SEC uh, series, obviously they t- had a series loss at Texas a and last weekend and you look at it a little bit closer, you know, two one run losses on the road with a team that young, you know, now we'll see, you know, if Kevin O'Sullivan can, you know, it's always a challenge for any coach, but obviously he's kind of all in with the young guys and can you get this team to be consistent? Or is it going to ride this roller coaster where the next two weekends are on the road at ranked teams at Kentucky and South Carolina? Um, yeah. You know, it's, th- those are going to be challenging, but uh, it's clearly you know, sweeping LSU and, and winning those four games. And the fact they beat Florida State at midweek last week um, doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tied at six and three. With South Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi State. Those are the four best records in the Southeastern Conference. Aaron, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention just South Carolina. Just, I mean, who does what they do? B- back to back walk off wins. Right. Like they do. I mean, th- this walk team. Walk off is, homers. Yeah, walk off home runs. This team is just preposterous. <laughs> Their flair for the dramatic <laughs> is, uh, I mean, uh, it, it, uh, they're, the the level of belief that that team has uh, is just, uh, we've talked about that before. I mean, is there – there's another phrase for it. I guess with Will Crowe, he removes the drama because he's been so dominant right. on Sundays for them, but how do you account for that ridiculous level of belief that South Carolina has?
1: It is preposterous. I like that word. I mean, it's, it's you know, every every week it seems like it's enough is enough already, you know, just, you know, it's... it's win regular. Just win, just win regular. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you run out of words after a while to discuss this stuff. I mean, you know, they, they get a they're down six runs on, on, on the, the second game of that doubleheader, Um, you know, and there's three runs in the ninth and they, and they come back and they went on a walk off grand slam, uh, by Grayson Griner. I mean, my goodness, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, there's no doubt about it, but you know, there's a part of me that wonders if this is sustainable. I mean, it's not like they're dominating everybody if they're having to win a lot of games like this and come from behind fashion. Um, but you know, I, I think we've seen that, um, that that intangible factor matters <laughs> it yeah. mattered a lot to south carolina in their two national championship runs so um i think I, I like i like it to see a team that has the ability to do this even if it means they're not necessarily blowing people out all the time
0: i will say that you just look up and down their lineup and they generally you know what generally is their lineup i just see a real deep lineup you know i mean there's yep. a lot of they're just there's not a lot of easy outs in that you know in that lineup there and i don't i don't see where teams can relax. And I can see where they would always believe they're going to score runs because any point in that lineup is dangerous. And one of the questions that we had um, on Twitter from James Gilliam is how do we see Joey Pancake and Grayson Gr- Griner going in the draft? And then Will Crow, another great start, 6-0, and SEC Rookie of the Year, National Rookie of the Year. I mean, obviously we call it Freshman of the Year. Um, Crow's certainly in the mix for that, as well as you know, he's got to beat out Keegan Thompson of Auburn in that. But, I mean, uh, you know, Keegan Thompson we wrote about last week. But Aaron, this is a uh, you know pretty uh, the, the, a lot was expected of these guys coming into the, their college career. Pancake and Greiner. Um grinders also might be one of the better answers to another Twitter question we have from our friends of uh, VU Hawk Talk, who we think the best defensive catcher in college baseball is right now, throwing and receiving. Greiner would certainly be in the mix for that. But that's either like that makes Grayson Greiner, he's I, college catchers who can catch and throw don't go any lower than the third round. It doesn't feel like so his. F- his floor is the third round, and if he hits and someone believes in him, he can go a little higher than that. What's your take on Pancake from a draft standpoint, especially as he's moved around a little bit, third base and some left field this year?
1: Yeah, he's a little bit of a you know a wild card just because of that, and he hasn't um, you know you'd love to see what he could do on the mound. I mean, everybody has always talked about that, but at this point, I think we have to we have to acknowledge that this guy is is a is a hitter, um, you know, and, and I and I think. He's a good hitter. I do like the swing. I mean, there is real strength in there. It's compact. There's a lot of line drives, um, and you know he, he, the defense plays. I think at third base, I think it's a pretty good spot for him. I don't know if he quite profiles as a typical third baseman. I mean, he's uh, he's not a guy that you you think is going to hit you know 30 home runs in the big leagues. Um, so you know where does he fit at the next level? I'm not really sure because uh, I don't think he's probably a shortstop. Maybe he's you know he's got arm strength. You could put him at second base. I mean it's 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 helpful to have arm strength at second base, you know, turn that double play. But, uh, you know, I don't know quite where he fits, um, but he's an interesting guy, and, and I think he probably goes in that, you know, three to five round range.
0: He reminds me, Aaron, a lot of uh, other players South Carolina had there, uh, James Darnell. Um, mm. Big right-handed bat, athletic, some power. You know, you kind of question the profile. James Darnell has made the big leagues is, uh, just on the Durham Bulls roster that came across my email over the weekend. So James Darnell's in my head it feels like they're fairly comparable players. You know, Darnell was a second-round pick. I kind of feel like Pancake could be second, third round if he has a a good finish. I'm encouraged by the fact that he's making a lot of contact this year, only eight strikeouts so far. But, I mean, the bottom line is, like you said, he's about the bat. He's an acceptable defender at third base, those kind of things. If he has to move to the outfield, then you're even putting more demands on the bat. But uh, the bat is where, you know, he has to make his mark. You know, he has to make his mark offensively and, you know, so far, it's been fine, but it's not like he's tearing the cover off the ball. It's not like he's been AJ Reed, um, you know, offensively. So, um, and the college hitting crop has left scouts pretty underwhelmed. I think is the fair way right. to put that. Um, but Aaron, a couple other teams. So Florida, we we started off talking about Florida. We talked a little bit about South Carolina, obviously. Uh, we, we dropped LSU down to twenty in the rankings. Um, what was your take on LSU? Was that just a factor of I mean, the only? It feel like the only thing we've talked about with LSU this year has been its lack of um, you know, its lack of a difficult schedule. Do we feel like they just? Uh, you know, what's your takeaway on on their weekend week this weekend? Was it just a matter of them running into? I mean, they they already played a very tough opponent in Vanderbilt and won one of those games. Was it just a matter of uh, running into a hot uh, Florida team, uh, being on the road only the second time? What's your takeaway of why this happened to to LSU?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's there's certainly something to be said for that. I mean, just um, running into the wrong team at the wrong time. But I also think there there is cause for concern here about LSU's offense a little bit. You know, this is a uh, boy. They lost a lot from last year's offense, and um, you know, Cade Skivik has come in here and hit really well. Um, you know, I mean, he's been a, a really instant impact guy, but you know Bregman has has kind of scuffled here in the first half of the season and that's been um that's been hey, they need that guy to lead the way. I mean, that's your all American and he's not really doing it and you know, the rest of these pieces here, they're they're not a lot of star power in the lineup. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that the, the quality of that bats are I mean, I, I feel like generally they've been pretty good. I feel like they're they're patient and they're working counts. That's what they do at LSU. But um, I don't know. I don't see a lot that scares me in this lineup. You know, and I, I just don't. I just don't think they have the the kind of explosiveness maybe that they had even last year. Um, and so you know, I, I think in the SEC against quality pitching, I think they're gonna struggle to score runs. And besides Aaron Nola, I don't think they have um, elite arms on that staff. So I don't know, John. I mean, this is a team that I think. Uh, could be, hey, we'll learn a lot more about them in the next few weeks. Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss. I mean, every weekend in the SEC, it's it's going to be a challenge, an opportunity to learn something about yourself. But um, right now, I'm I don't know what to think of this team.
0: Yeah, I don't either, Aaron. Because it's just so tough. You, you, it's tough to judge their statistics because of what they did in non-conference. Was you know they, they, the teams they played out of the conference were so modest. But like you said, in the league. They're last in the SEC with a two twelve batting average. Now, granted, they they played Vanderbilt, so that's that's part yeah. of that. You know, it's a very small sample size, but you know, Florida definitely has nice arms. But Florida is a team that uh, there were a lot of freshmen, like you said, and uh, it looks like Alex Bregman is being pitched around, and you know, other teams are saying, "Hey, we're going to take our chance with him." That's you know, I'm I'm just looking up their SEC stats. Bregman's three for 35 in league games, Aaron. Wow. So um, that ain't helping. <laughs> that's just not that's not going to get it done. I mean, like you said, you look around the rest of the lineup and you say and you, you do look at it and say, well, this is going to have to start with Alex Bregman. And they anticipated that. I mean, that's how they mm. want things to happen. But then you like uh-uh. you look at it. So he's not igniting it. And then you look around the rest of the supporting cast. There's not really a guy you can point to and say, yes, I expect him to be his wingman.
1: Yeah, you know, and they 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 thought Mark Laird was going to be the guy, you know, who's going to take it. He's ready to. They kept saying the fall and coming into the spring. This guy's going to take the leap and be the big next big star. You know, I mean, and he hasn't done it. Um, you know, Stevenson has taken a jump forward. I mean, that's been a um, a guy they needed to do to do that, and he has. But um, you know, Christian Ibarra hasn't been very good. Um, you know. And the other thing about Bregman, John, I think I saw somebody say on, on Twitter, one of the media guys, that uh, LSU restricted access to Bregman um, you know, during this slump or something that, you know, I maybe mean, it was after one of the games or, or something like that. I mean, he's not talking to the media. So you wonder if this is starting to get in his head a little bit. Um, and he, but he needs to get out of it fast. And you, you think with his makeup, I mean, hey, guys are going to go through slumps, but he, you'd think he'll bounce back. But it needs to happen pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, yeah, I guess the uh, the story on uh, NOLA.com, the tweet that you, one of the tweets you're referring to is uh, uh, St- Bregman's struggles hovering over the offense, Paul Maneri says. So, um, wow. you know, <laughs> we'll see three for 36. That's just not easy. So not a great way for Alex Bregman to celebrate his birthday over the weekend um, with the <laughs> the struggles that he had. Um, this weekend, and those those are through nine games. Again, it's a small sample size. If there's anybody you're going to believe, oh, you, you it's easy to make the Pedroya comps. And you, I thought you, I loved the comparison you had for uh, Ross Kivitt with that brashness yeah. with his quote to the Georgia, the, Georgia, the Kansas State uh, feature you did, the dispatch from the Heartland on Kansas State. Um, but you know, the scouts were the ones who were who were giving it on on Alex Bregman, saying like, you know, you hate to go Pedroia, but there are these similarities. So that makes you feel like a guy who gets the, earns that kind of respect from scouts is almost impervious to struggles. But he is a sophomore, and he is the center of their offense, and he's the guy everybody else is game planning. And that's new. Sorry. And he doesn't have Mason, right, I mean. doesn't have Mason Katz behind him, uh, and you know a guy who got off to such a monster start last year. So it's uh, you know it's a little bit it's just a different scenario this year for Alex Bregman, and so far he hasn't uh, responded the way that uh, Pomenary and the, and the Tigers need him to.
1: Exactly right. And I was going to make the same point about Mason Katz and Rafe Rhimes not being there. I mean, he's more right. of a, you know, there's, there's more uh, onus on this guy. So, you know, there, there are there a few players in the country um, that are asked to do more right now, you know, and certainly Trey Turner is kind of in that same boat with Bregman, but even Turner, I think, has a better supporting cast.
0: That's a great segue, uh, Aaron, <laughs> to the other struggling teams, North, and South Carolina, uh, North Carolina and uh, North Carolina State. Both out of our rankings, I feel like we have talked about both teams a lot this year. So I don't want to belabor the point. But the ACC, I guess the bigger point here, Aaron, is as Georgia Tech also gets swept. Um, there's some teams in, in bubble territory in the Atlantic Coast Conference here mm-hmm. when it comes to when it comes to regionals. Um, I, 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 I booked it for Maryland to go to regionals last week. Then of course they they lose two to, to uh, Clemson. But I'm not backing off the Terrapins. But suddenly, Wake Forest is nineteen and ten, and eight and four in the league, and North Carolina and NC State are, you know, North Carolina five and seven in the league after getting swept by Pittsburgh. Heels just flat out cannot hit, and when they do hit, they don't field very well. They've lost six straight. Seems like that funk kind of uh, started really uh, with that Wake West Virginia loss. So I guess they've lost seven of their last eight. Um, and then you mix in NC State, which has lost, been swept three straight times, has lost nine out of ten, fifteen and eleven overall. Still feels like NC State, from a talent perspective, should be able to turn this around. Um, but uh, neither of these teams are playing anywhere near capacity, or, or or did we misread their capacity coming into the season?
1: Well, I, I think I think NC State, um, you know, will will get it going, you know, and and I don't think we misread their capacity. I do think that. Um, There are some causes for legitimate concern uh, when you look at their team. And and again, it's just a team that hasn't gotten very um, consistent offense. And and it's, uh, you know, a lot of things they did last year, um, you know, working counts and hitting situationally, they haven't done. um, They have been inconsistent in a lot of different ways, really. This team has, has not been good. But, you know, that said. Um, you have to believe in the track record of, of Verdun and Turner and, you know, even, even Austin, uh, you know, and although that junior class in particular, right. um, I mean, I, I, just, I just think they have to get it going. And especially with this schedule in the second half, um, you know, after, after they played Duke this week, uh, or, uh, Clemson rather on the road this weekend, that's the thing is, you know, they, they can't get swept the fourth straight time. If they're three and 12, you know, that's not pretty, but if they can go to Clemson, even if they lose that series, well, okay. So let's say they're four and, and an eleven in the league. It's not a. It's a pretty deep hole they have to dig out of. But the rest of the schedule is favorable. You know, it's it, they should win every every series the rest of the way. So um, I don't know. I mean, this is a. You know, th- this team. I, I think it. Is still, um, I'm not ready to give up on them. I think North Carolina is, is just pretty mediocre, John. That's my opinion. Um, and losing Chris McHugh at the back of the bullpen um, leaves them thin on the bullpen. And you know, they, they just the quality of their pitching is down. The Quality of their offense is down. I just think they're mediocre.
0: I don't disagree with you for a second about North Carolina. They are. Uh, it's a mediocre team as long as Sky Bolt is playing the way he's playing. If you get first half of 20. Uh, of 2013 Sky Bolt, when he was this dynamic switch hitting center fielder right fielder with power and speed and you have this dynamic offensive player then then things are different I don't mean to put it all on him but you know the two big reasons that you thought North Carolina could still be a, a, an Omaha contender although I mean I, we had a more as like a super regional contender than an Omaha contender where Landon Lassiter and Sky Bolt were coming back and Lassiter is hitting 215 with a 215 slugging percentage I know, he had a, I know he had a broken foot in the offseason. He's having a hard time in his load and his swing. You can just see he's always been a handsy hitter. But the power is just not really right there for Landon and right now. And it's, there's a reason for it. You can see it. And you can see maybe there's a reason for Skybolt struggles, too. He has not been the same guy since his broken foot last year. But those guys are sophomores, and they were expected to carry a little bit more of the load. And bolt hitting two hundred with a, with three extra base hits, and Lasseter's hitting two fifteen with no extra base hits. that doesn't gonna get Can't it done. win like that you cannot they yeah. can, they cannot win like that, not with there's no Cody Stubbs Brian Holberton Colin Moran around those guys in the in the in the uh you know in the in the lineup, so they have good pieces they have some nice pieces offensively. It would work if Lassiter and Bolt were hitting the bigger question like you said is the pitching i mean. Chris McHugh was uh, by far their most trusted guy in the bullpen, and outside of Hovis and Rice, there's really not another guy they trust back there. So that leaves them pretty thin, and whether it's Taylor Cherry, who was good for them last year in the ACC tournament championship game, but you know the the game I saw him this year, <laughs> you know Georgia Tech bunted on him and he tried to bend over and pick up the ball and he couldn't do it. He literally hmm. couldn't do it. He bent over and, and flubbed the, he flubbed the pretty routine chance. And he could be run on and he could be bunted on. And maybe, maybe a few years ago, nobody would have butted on him, but everyone's going to butt on him now. So, um, right. And going back to NC State, Aaron, uh, the thing that gives me pause about them is that this is supposed to be – this team has, had, uh, has not found its identity yet. Two years ago, their identity was, well, they had Rodon. Uh, with his breakout freshman year. And then, Aaron, remember two years ago, that was a loaded offense. Turner at the top with 55 steals, just the most dynamic offensive player in college baseball, not named Chris Bryant, even though that wasn't even Chris Bryant's big year. But, I mean, you know, he was the most dynamic guy out there for me. was Turner. Then you had Chris Diaz, Danny Canella, uh, Ryan Matthews, hashtag personal cheeseball with his 17 home runs. Then you had Sine and Sensen, you had like Austin, Ratledge, and Fincher. Those guys were like seven, eight, nine as freshmen. But one, right. through, one through six, you had this dynamic freshman. And then you had veterans who didn't all hit for power, but they gave you good at-bats. And last year, there was some turnover in that lineup, but still some, still some veterans. And then this ridiculous bullpen that was outrageously deep. We've talked about that. What is NC State's identity this year? Well, when you talk to them, it was supposed to be starting pitching. Well, Rodon has not been Rodon. Uh, he has a 2.09 ERA, but he's also given up 13 unearned runs. Wow. Uh, Jernigan's been iffy. He uh, uh, And then Brad Stone has been okay. But they're not winning with starting pitching, and that is supposed to be their identity. So their plan B, what is plan B? Because right now plan A, the starting pitching, that was supposed to be their bellwether, is not getting it done. I don't know what plan B is for them, and I don't think they know either. So they don't quite know their identity as a team right now. And, uh, I, I agree with you that I, I see a path to them improving because they are talented, and the schedule does ease up a bit. But boy, from a confidence standpoint and an identity standpoint, I don't think they know who they are as a team right now, and it's really going to take a big start in on the weekend from a Rodon, a Jernigan, Stone, maybe all three.
1: Andrew Wick is the guy too that that made a start this weekend. That you know Stony. provided some stability. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, and you'd love to have that guy in the bullpen, but hey, if you need stability, you know, maybe that's what like what Mississippi State did with, with Ross Mitchell. I mean, you, you, maybe you just move your most consistent guy into the starting role and get as much out of him as you can.
0: That's exactly what they did because Andrew Wick, uh, like in the previous two series, when they got swept. <laughs> that's York your go-to. Moment of truth, guy in the bullpen, and there was never a moment of truth. So if you're if you're not facing, if you're not getting to him in the bullpen, you can't go a weekend uh, with the guy who right now is your best pitcher and have him not pitch. So I, I respect that decision by NC State. Uh, it, it stunned me when I saw that he started, but at the same time, when you really pull back, it makes sense. And you know they don't have a pitcher with more than two saves. Know, they have 15 wins, so they've lost a lot of games. But I couldn't tell you who their closer is right now. I think they wanted it to be John Olzac. Uh, He has struggled a little bit of late, so it's a it's an iffy situation in uh, in Raleigh, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron, we're we're podcasting uh, on college baseball with John and Aaron, and a couple other series. Actually, Aaron, I wanted to bring up some positive teams. Let's talk about some teams that moved up. How about two teams that were ranked in the preseason: Indiana and Alabama, Um, the Crimson Tide. Kind of the opposite, really, in some ways, of LSU, Aaron, and they've played a pretty challenging schedule. They seem to know uh, who they are and what their identity is. And a uh, big series win this weekend for the Tide to kind of get back toward the top of that very crowded SEC bubble. They're sitting there at six and three. Um, has it, uh, have, you know they they swept the Ole Miss, which had been hot. Has anything about Alabama surprised you at all during this stretch? Or is it pretty much as they played some tough games and won some close ones, lost some close ones? They seem like they kind of are who we thought they were.
1: Yeah, that's it. I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, um, they were a a back of the top 25 team uh, heading into the season, and they're going to be in and out and in and out because the SEC is like that. Um, But, you know, last week uh, they lost to an Arkansas team that was kind of in the same boat. Um, You know, kind of a fringe top 25 team heading into the year. I like Alabama more. Than the other teams we had in the back of the rankings. I mean, I think I liked them more than Florida, Texas A&M, Arkansas. You know, right. for me, Alabama was that middle of the pack SEC team that had a chance to to sneak up a little bit. Um, so you know, I I, th- I think uh, I think their pitching is is has not peaked yet. I mean, Spencer Turnbull hasn't really turned it on yet. Um, you know, he, and he won this week against Chris Ellis, but um, you know, that's a guy that. Uh, when he really gets it going, I mean, if he pounds his zone a little more consistently, right. Gets his, gets his command a little bit better. Um, when he gets into a groove, he can be dominant. And so that hasn't really happened yet, but they, they still have, um, you know, they just have a balanced club. I, I just like the, the overall, um, structure of that roster. I, I don't think there's any glaring weaknesses.
0: I'm with you. It's a very balanced, <clears throat> very balanced looking team. Um, it doesn't like you said that this is, you can't point anything to the, and say that, that here's a real big weakness for Alabama they do a lot of things well and um you know so far I think I, I feel like their their schedule being tough has helped them to this stamp to this point I'm not, I don't mean to knock LSU schedule too much but it, it was is like, brutal though it was brutal. it was brutal it was brutal there's no other way to put it I mean you don't have to go play Louisiana Lafayette for a weekend series for Alabama they did and and they found out some things about themselves. They got shut out twice in a row, and they came back and scored 12 runs. It's not easily done. Um, I think it prepared them for SEC play a little bit more. Um, and you look down the line for them, they, they have some tough, tough road series to come at A&M, at Tennessee, at South Carolina, at LSU. That's I mean, everybody in the SEC has that, <laughs> Aaron. Everyone has a tough road series coming up. But uh, you know, Alabama and Auburn right now, I mean, Alabama and Mississippi State, I should say, leading the SEC West with Auburn, then Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas a and but LSU at last place in the league in the SEC. Well, in the whole league, uh, I guess. At the, no, just in the West. I apologize. I can't do math this morning, Aaron. Their tie puts them uh, ahead of Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about it the whole time, Aaron. I mean, it really looks like really outside of Georgia and Missouri, you really can't rule any of these teams out of uh, regional yeah. right now, right?
1: And Georgia and Missouri both won series this weekend. You know, Missouri went to Auburn and won two out of three. Um, and, and Georgia took two out of three from Texas A&M. So there's just no gimmies in this league. It's just it's just incredible to try to figure it out. And, um, you know, and I think the ACC is muddled too. Uh, but I feel like... The ACC is muddled more out of mediocrity, whereas the SEC, I feel like there are 12 teams here that are legitimately regional caliber teams. And even Georgia and, and you know Missouri, probably if they were different leagues, they might have more of a shot um, because there are, there's agree. talent on those teams.
0: I completely agree. There's talent in the ACC as well, but those are some mediocre teams, there's no doubt. I mean, the, uh, if you said which would surprise me more, the SEC getting 12 re- regional bids or the ACC getting five, I would say the ACC getting five would not surprise me. I mean, I'm not. I'm not, not ruling out they're going to give. I'm you? not. It would not surprise me if they only got five bids. I mean, it's just. I'm. I'm. I'm I expect them to give more. I expect teams like North Carolina, NC State, uh, Maryland, Wake Forest, uh, you know, Miami, those kinds of teams. I expect some of those teams to play a little bit better. But right now, we have four teams ranked: Florida State, Clemson, Virginia. Uh, well, I should say three teams ranked. So Florida State, Clemson, Virginia, uh, those are locks. Who else is a you know is a likely regional team from the ACC right now? Who would you stick your neck out for?
1: I mean, I think Miami will be will be fine because you know, for one thing, Miami. I don't know if anybody's played you know a tougher schedule than Miami has, and which Great is point. weird because you look at their you look at their RPI and they're they're 40, I guess, in the RPI. But I mean, you know, they they played uh, Florida State and Florida um, in the non-conference, and um, you know, they played Virginia. They played. NC State on the road. They played Georgia Tech on the road. I mean, you know, there's – okay, so there might be other teams that have played a comparable schedule, uh, but, but it's a good schedule. And 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 I think, you know, I think the, the worst is probably behind them now. I mean, the, the next three weeks are, are a lot more manageable. Really, the, the whole rest of the season is more manageable. I expect Miami will be will be just fine and could be back into the, in the hosting mix by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I really don't understand this one. As you mentioned strength of schedule. I guess because they played Maine and maybe Boston College, but Miami's strength of schedule shows up at 82 on Boydsworld.com, and that just doesn't com- that doesn't compute because they've also played florida at florida state at georgia tech virginia at nc state so that just doesn't compute at all <laughs> you know it's a better it's a better schedule than 82nd best schedule um in the country yeah. uh, that part that part definitely does not make sense um aaron another good good story is indiana um certainly the hoosiers struggled out of the gates um. what's got them back? It looks like their bats have started to come along.
1: Yeah, that's it. You know, this was really refreshing, I think, this weekend. For those of us who've been waiting for Indiana to, to do this, um, you know, they finally got their bats going, and certainly Schwarber and Travis, as usual, were kind of right in the middle of it, but they got... You know, this is really balanced team offense. I think they had 10 different guys have hits on Sunday, and, you know, Dustin DeMuth had some big hits, and, um, you know, there were a bunch of guys that, that came through for him. So I, I think we, we always thought it was just a matter of time for that team offensively to get going. But, um, you know, Joey Donato became the all time strikeout leader. At that university on Friday, just a really uh, good, competitive, accomplished senior guy, and um, and they got a good start from Christian Morris on Sunday, which uh, which was a, which was very helpful. You know, he got his first win of the year, so um, things things looking up for the Hoosiers right now. And you know, fifteen and ten, um, maybe not quite a top twenty-five resume if you can stack it up just on a sheer resume with some other teams at the back, but. Uh, when you combine it with their talent and their track record and their momentum now, you know, the last two weeks, um, we moved them back into the top 25.
0: Yeah, I mean, like Oklahoma, I guess some of the other teams that we talked about, Oklahoma, you saw the Sooners uh, recently, Aaron, did you not? You've, you've seen Oklahoma on your trip. I did. I uh, did, I saw them. We've got Oklahoma in here, we've got uh, New Mexico's uh, on the worksheet, Liberty, Pepperdine. Uh, the teams from the 619 area code USD in San Diego State. Did I get that area code right? You did. 619 rep and present. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I went that direction. Um, Aaron, who, have any of these other teams, I guess, uh, that are outside the top 25, Who's who's got the best resume uh, or, or is there a team out there that you believe in but you don't quite have the resume yet?
1: Uh, let's see. That's an interesting question. It's a good way to put it, actually. I, I think, um, you so know, there you, are teams that ended have... Up
0: with Indiana. I mean, like you said, Indiana was a team we believe in. The resume doesn't really support it, but no one else really said that they have a combination of team we believe in and resume, so we kind of believe in the talent. Uh, is there anybody else who's kind of in their league? Uh, as, as yeah, that,
1: that, that's a good way to put it. You know, and Oklahoma, I think, is interesting, um, and, and I don't quite in all the way um i don't love their arms you know but they they but they have a pretty good bullpen um you know they trust their bullpen um you know their their lineup has a lot of young players in it but um you know they're they're, they've got some talent there um you know i think oklahoma has the last two weeks they've, they've won series against kansas state and um was it this weekend that they Kansas. played was, uh, at Kansas on the road? It was a big series, but you know it's just a two and two week, so we couldn't quite bring them in on a two and two week. But they were right there in the mix, and um, you know, and they all, they did a nice series win early on against Seton Hall, which Seton Hall has been good. Um, so you know, this is uh, that's a team to me that's right there on the cusp. You know, Arizona State the last two weeks winning series at Oregon State and UCLA. It's the John Manuel Omaha sleeper right there, uh, uh, making some noise. Um, <laughs> Not much Sun of a Devils. sleeper. <laughs> no. It. no. But, but the Sun Devils are 15-11 are, are and 11 now, so it's still not you know, um, a loud resume. And they lost two home series the weeks before that. But, you know, but at least now, after these last two weeks, winning road series um, you know, against the Beavers and, and Bruins, I think they're back in the mix for the top 25. So they had been really nowhere near the mix before that. So you've got to keep an eye on them as well.
0: Aaron, hottest team in the country is a good way to end, as you mentioned, the Pac-12. U-Dub. Showing everybody how the rings look. How about Washington? This (laughs) new era for the Washington Huskies with the new ballpark, Husky ballpark, long overdue. I know you said you spoke to Lindsey Meggs uh, last week. uh, Wrote a little bit about that. But uh, they go to USC and sweep. They swept uh, Arizona the previous week. They won their series at Arizona State the previous week before that. And they got Oregon and Stanford back-to-back home series. Can Washington keep this up at how? Have the Huskies uh, gotten off to the best start? I would guess the best start in school history.
1: Yeah, they're, they're 20 and five now. I'm not sure how that compares to their school history, but you know, this is certainly, um, this is pretty loud, you know, 10 game winning streak is the longest in the country. And, and, uh, you know, they've done it. I think the thing that's striking about it, and I know these teams are, are a little bit down this year, but, uh, when you think about Arizona state, Arizona and USC, in terms of, you know, college baseball history and, and, and winning all three of those series and two of them on the road. And, and, you know, that's that's something important for the University of Washington. Um, so, you know, these guys, they do have a veteran bunch, and, and I like their talent. I mean, that, that junior class um, I wrote about on Weekend Preview on, on Thursday last week, you know, those guys are pretty good, um, and we waited for it and waited for it to come together for those guys. You know, Mitsui and Pell, and um, you know, and then you got the, the the younger guys in there, like Braden Bishop, who's who's emerged. Um, you know, Jeff Brigham has come back strong off Tommy John surgery. He's he's a prospect. I like their three their three arms in the rotation. Um, you know, they've got three quality guys. We talked about that before with Jared Fisher and um, you know Brigham and, and Davis. I mean, those are. Quality guys, and they really swung the bats this weekend um, because they have experience. You know, we, you talked about earlier with um, NC State and the depth of their lineup last year because they had those veteran pieces. Or was that two years ago? Two years ago, uh, yeah. When they had those veteran pieces, you know, that kind of took some pressure off your your, your stars, um, and that's kind of like Washington is this year. You know, they've got older guys up and down the lineup, and so they're going to get quality at bats and, and that matters. So, you know, I, I think they're for real, John, I really do. I think I'm, I'm not saying they're going to win the pac 12. Um, I don't think they will, you know, y- next three weeks. They're at home against Oregon and Stanford. Frankly, those are winnable series. You know, Oregon's not a juggernaut right now. Right. Um, you know, and Stanford won a nice series this weekend, but you know, Stanford's not a juggernaut. And then they're on the road at Cal. Hey, that's winnable. Um, you know, Cal's is, has been very up and down. So, you know, Maybe they, they could, will win the they, Pac-12. <laughs> they could put, get themselves out to a pretty good lead. The, the key will be the last two weeks at Oregon State and then home against UCLA to finish. But, um, you know, they, they have a chance to build up a little cushion here over the next few weeks. This Oregon series will tell us a lot about both of those teams. We'll see, we'll see what the Ducks are made of, too.
0: I agree completely. Uh, last but not least, Aaron, uh, uh, we're going to do this draft update. How, you tweeted about it a little bit. wanted you to touch base a little bit uh, on Eric Fetty with you, the UNLV right-hander. Um, you know, a lot of buzz. I heard some buzz about Brigham when I was talking to a scout about what he seen out west. Uh, two of the guys he brought up uh, in the Pac-12 were uh, Lilick, Brett Lilick, at, uh, the sophomore at uh, Arizona State. said, you know, Lilick's got a chance to go real good in 2015. Um, talking about, it talked about Brigham. I like that Sunday starter at Washington. Saw him roll, you know, saw him throw real well. And then he just brings up, um, uh, I forget who I was even uh, starting off with. Oh, Eric Fetty. Fetty. But he said Fetty, and he said oh, if he'd seen Fetty the week before, two weeks ago, and that Fetty hadn't had a fastball below 93. Now it sounds like you didn't see that kind of velocity because you didn't see Fetty in uh, conditions in Arizona. You saw him in <laughs> in the cold of the Midwest of America's heartland. Yeah. And one of your heartland dispatches. Dispatch from the Heartland, I should say. Um, how did Eric Fetty look in the Heartland, and uh, have you heard that kind of buzz about him?
1: Yeah, I have heard some buzz on him, but you know, I didn't see a fastball above ninety-two. I mean, okay. he was he sat he sat right at 90, 92 the entire game. But he had a lot of sink, you know, and in, in arm side run um, because that's what he does. I mean, he gets a ton of ground balls, and I think he I think he got fifteen ground ball outs in that game. Um, so you know, he's just pounding the zone with with three pitches. I mean, I thought the the slider and the changeup were both solid average kind of pitches. Um, you know, so he gave him a chance to, to, be a legitimate starter down the road. I mean, this is the this guy that was primarily a fastball guy early in his career, and he's developed the secondary stuff now to the point that I think they're both quality pitches for him. And um, you know, it was cold, John. <laughs> it was yeah. really cold and windy, and you know, it's snowing. Um, and he's out there, in sh- he's out there in short sleeves, just shoving it. So uh, I was very impressed with him and the makeup. And um, you know, it was a big series win for for UNLV getting getting into the top twenty-five at number twenty-five this week. I Like their team. I think they uh you know they they've uh, again they've got some veterans and they've got I, I thought the quality there at, bat, at bats were very good um you know up and down the lineup I think they're I think they're pretty pretty good team
0: I mean attendance you right on uh, you tweeted on Friday attendance was 1669 very hardy souls wind chill is 24 degrees had some flurries are you kidding me I mean,
1: oh yeah you,
0: give me a break who hey I love La- I love Walter. I love baseball. So I, mean, <laughs> I love baseball more than Walter McCarty. But um, I'm just stunned that 1669 people sat outside to watch that. Yeah, that's just insanity. That is people up insane. here.
1: Are, people up here are bonkers. I mean, the game the game on Wednesday at Kansas State um, <laughs> was one of the most miserable conditions I think I've ever been to at a baseball game. I mean, it was like 35 mile an hour winds howling out there. You had drizzling rain right up until first pitch, and I think it drizzled throughout the game. And these people are just, oh, okay, we'll just bundle up with our jackets, you know, got our hoods pulled up. No big deal. I mean, you know, Kansas State, they, they showed up, and there were a ton of students um, rolling up to the game beforehand because I guess they were giving out T-shirts. And uh, one thing about college kids, they love T-shirts. But, right. Um, but, you know, I mean, people, people, people were into it. And I, I know that they, they would have drawn a lot better if there was good weather, but they still, I was impressed with uh, the dedication of the people who did show up.
0: I just love you talking to Darren Erstad Friday, and, you know, Erstad played most of his career for the Angels, and you are like, what are you doing leaving Southern California? I miss it like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're in the Midwest, and he's like, well, my wife took the map, and she Xed out the Dakotas. And, uh, you know, I think Nebraska's a garden spot, I guess, compared to the Dakotas. But I mean, uh, Yeah, exactly. It really does kind of, it feels like one of the things about this week is, I mean, the weather's been bad everywhere, but this is just par for the course for the most of the ballparks and programs that you've been visiting this week. And it's, you know, these guys are playing games in winter in, yeah. in Nebraska and in Kansas. And I think it just really uh, kind of gives it a pull back the 30,000 feet point of view. It really is amazing that these programs have some of the tradition that they have and that they succeed the way they succeed despite these obstacles in their path.
1: John, today is opening day in Major League Baseball. And we've got seven weeks in the books in college baseball. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. Dude, it is. I mean, stupid. This is this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And you know, I I know it's crazy um, to to try to say, hey, we need to move the whole season into the summer. I understand that it's it, it's it would take a lot of work and logistically, there's a lot of things that would have to. You'd have to sit down and hammer it out and say, okay. How's the draft going to work? How you know summer leagues are they going to be killed? Well, you know what? I don't care. If, if summer leagues, if summer leagues are in trouble because of this, so be it. I think college baseball has to look out for college baseball. And, and you know, this is a summer sport. It's, it's not a winter sport. It's starting in February. It's starting practice in January. Give me a break. This is America's pastime, John. It's not hockey. You know.
0: <laughs> I'm totally with you, man. I'm totally with you. The proposal that Randy Mazey had. I mean it's not the new it's not the first time um like you like you wrote, but it's certainly noteworthy just that you know right now college baseball is more of a uh more of a sport of interest than other sports, and I don't understand why that uh doesn't change for the uh, uh, you know why that hasn't changed the attitude of the nCAA with regard to college baseball. It feels like it should be uh a little bit more respected. Um, by the NCA and give it a little bit more of a chance to shine, and it's impossible, I think, to thrive in this atmosphere, in this weather. So That's it. it it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, these teams fight it every year. The rest of the country is fighting it more than usual this year. We saw it two years ago. We saw it talked about it the first podcast of the year. Two years ago, we had a ridiculously mild winter everywhere, and I, I, you know, st- all the planets aligned And Stony Brook and Kent State were great teams. They had great talent. Great coaching staffs, both went to Omaha, but everything has to line up for that to happen, for those teams right. to really be national contender, national, true national championship contenders. Which you know, Kid State was one and one in Omaha at one point, had beaten Florida. They had a chance to win the whole thing. You know, Sonny Brook showed up, was happy to be there, zero and two. You know, might have uh, been a little bit in awe of the moment uh, in their trip to Omaha, but everything has to line up for a Northern team to win a national championship. And that might be fine for some regional sport, like you said, like hockey. But that should not be good enough for college baseball. It shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, the NCAA, as we know, Aaron, <laughs> it's a pretty arrogant group. And they don't really seem like they give a flip what Major League Baseball wants or when Major League Baseball's draft is. So if the NCAA right. decided to move its season on its own, Major League Baseball would have to do to that one that would have to react, one would imagine. Um right. But, I'm, I'm, you know, I've always thought of college summer baseball as a necessary evil. I, I You know, that phrase, I'm not, I don't mean that phrase literally. It's not evil. But it's only necessary because you don't play college baseball at college in the summer. You have to play it somewhere because it's a summer sport. But it only exists to fill a vacuum. And if you move the college season back to when baseball season actually should be, you would not have a vacuum to fill. So I wouldn't mind losing the Cape Cod League. You know, I love the Cape. Great It does a lot of great things, but it only exists because it has to. And if it didn't have to, you know, it would be better for college baseball uh, if the brand names were North Carolina, Michigan, you know, South Carolina, Texas, Alabama. If those are the brand names you were talking about in July instead of Katuit or the Rochester Honkers or the Chillicothe Paints, with all due respect to summer college leagues. So that's... Uh, I'll just piggyback on your rant a little bit. I have made that rant before. I can make it on a moment's notice, and I just did.
1: That's right. Well, there we go. That's probably a good place to wrap up right there.
0: It is, Aaron. Uh, well, great stuff. You're on a flight back today. Um, you will take some much-deserved uh, days off. Um, huh. we, we, uh, I hope so. I hope you deserve them. Are you laughing at that I'll,
1: part? I'll, I'll, wor- I'll work at home. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs>
0: okay, work from home. Take a day off. Take a full day off. Uh, well, yeah, right. It's it's doable. Uh, maybe in
1: July, Johnny. <laughs> no,
0: that that's probably true. That is uh, that is kind of how the college baseball beat works. But uh, Aaron will work from home for a couple of days, so I'll see him sometime. Um, we will uh, have a college, uh, I mean, a college and high school, like twenty fourteen draft update coming for you in the next ten days. So we'll probably podcast on that with uh, myself and Clinton Longenecker sooner than later, and we'll remind you that this podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther with Louisville Slugger. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next BA Podcast. So long, everybody.